you would take your Bible and open to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you would stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in verse 19 this morning. John writing here under the inspiration of the Spirit of God and gives us breath even at this moment. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a, he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he took, looked at Jesus, and he walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is God's Word to you and I today. Beloved, would you pray with me? Father God, we come into Your presence this morning so thankful for the gift of Your Word, so thankful for the gift of witnesses that have pointed us in the direction of Christ, so thankful that You, by the working of Your Spirit, have regenerated our hearts, that we could come this morning 
and feast on Your Word. Father, it's not by reading, it's not through our optic nerve that we behold glories in this book. It is through the work of Your Spirit in our heart that we know the truth and that we are set free in Christ. So Father, would You illuminate this text to us today and might we grow in Christ, being conformed to His image for Your glory. In Christ's name, Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but John's Gospel has taught me one thing about myself uh, above all else, and it's this. I read the Bible entirely too quickly. I skip over things uh, that I I take for granted in the text. The the reality is, John's Gospel is wonderful. Uh, Every other syllable, there's something that's fantastic here. Something that, that illuminates the reality of who Christ is and what He's done for us. Something that is, is altogether unique about this one gospel, uh, the gospel of John. Now, every, every author has a, a method or a style of writing. They, they each have their own purpose, and we need every single one of the gospels. God has given us all that we need in, in the, the full-orbed expression of all four of the gospels. Uh, But here we find John, again, packing a punch in everything that he says. John just gets down to it from the very beginning. He, he, He levels at us the reality of who Christ is and what He's done and what He's doing and those who are around Him. Of course, Matthew's Gospel points out that Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. Luke focuses on the birth of Christ. It is that orderly or chronological account of the Gospel of the Good News. Mark is, is that staccato fashion Gospel that just, and immediately then, and immediately, and immediately, he moves through the narrative abruptly, quickly. He's in a hurry. Uh, he, he wants to get to the heart of the matter. John, again, is the one that begins before the beginning of beginnings. And I hope that that's not being lost on you. Hearing that week in and week out. I was thinking about this particular first chapter and I thought we could spend the rest of our lives in this first chapter of John. Uh, we really could. Now don't get scared. We're not going to. But we could. There's, there's so much here. John, John is enamored with who Christ is. He, he, he is mesmerized by, by Christ and the fullness of His glory. And so he he begins with the crescendo, with the fullness of the expression of Christ being the one who is before the beginning of beginnings in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, he says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That is, that He is the Creator and He is the Sustainer. That there is nothing that the seat that you all set on this morning, that the chancel that I'm standing on this morning, the air conditioner that we enjoy this morning, are all derivatives from the things that Christ has created, and He created the ones that created the things that we enjoy and sustain them. I mean, the next time you go over to turn the air conditioner down, praise God for that. What a joy it is to know that He is the one who has created all things and He sustains them for His purpose. Even in a society that has gone absolutely insane and can't even... Friends, what has guarded society for so long is just the, the common grace that even lost people can look out into the world and they can see, well, 
that's a boy and that's a girl, and boys and girls married start a family, and the whole society is built upon that construct. And friends, we can't even see that anymore. We're so deceived in our society. But God is not at a, at a loss. God, Christ is not going, oh no. He knows what He's doing. He's still redeeming His church for His own glory. He's sustaining it and moving everything forward to the day where He will be exalted by all of the nations and the earth will be judged. We, we find in verse 4, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. In verse 5, we see that Christ will never be overcome. Uh, we, we hear these words, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ will be victorious. He's victorious at this very moment. We still live in a world that is under the curse of sin, but our Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father this very moment and the darkness has not overcome Him. There is this entire understanding of the cosmological problem of evil in these first five verses and John is pointing to Christ as the only one that can redeem us from that cosmological fall and problem and then in the middle of all of this he I mean he's he's building out all of that reality this Christology about Jesus and then in verse through six through eight he starts talking about some other guy it's like, yes, wait, what? And that's kind of what happens here. It, 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 the, the light shines in the darkness and the no darkness has not overcome it. I, that's fantastic truth. I, I don't know about you, but Monday morning I need verse 5. I need to know when the, the next counseling case or the next difficulty that, that, that passes through my own personal life or the life of our church that I understand that I might be overwhelmed, but Christ isn't overwhelmed. And the loved one receives the diagnosis that I, I fear or the child goes the wrong way or the entire convention loses its mind. I don't have to sit and tremble. I can know that the one in whom I have placed my finished trust has not been overcome by the darkness. And so I won't be either. But then John talks about John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but, but came to bear witness about the light. He continues to point then to Jesus as the one who was the light and life. He came into the world, but the world rejected him. In verse 12, but all who did, we find the great exception clause. The, the normal reality today and to this moment, we were talking about this in Sunday school today, the reality in the year 2023 is that you can read verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, this is the one, this is the, the pre-incarnate Son of God who redeems man from their cosmological problems. And you would think everybody would get with the program. Well, great, let's worship and follow Him. But instead, we elect Nancy Pelosi. That should tell you something about the state of humanity. Um, or any other politician. I'm not picking on her necessarily. Although, anyway. Um, the, the, the reality 
is that, that man doesn't follow by default the living God. Does not worship Him. Does not honor Him. Does not acknowledge Him even as Creator, let alone uh, as Redeemer, let alone Creator. But here in verse 12, we find that there are exceptions to this horrible reality that men reject Christ in their sin, in their spiritual lethargy and death. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. He gave them the right, the power to become God's children. How? Verse 13 answers that. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, that is not through means of normal procreation, uh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The only way that we come to know Christ for who He is and to worship Him rightly is not because of the will of man. It is not because of our natural birth. It is not because of our bloodlines. It is only because of the redemptive work of God in us. Hard stop. That is it. If someone asks you, why are you saved? You can say, well, God did that. And He alone gets the glory for that. But then we find this, again, I'm telling you, these statements just keep coming. It's like, you know, those movie scenes where it flashes from one scene to the next and you're just overwhelmed. And here comes the greatest statement. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here is the one who brought both grace and truth, salvation and revelation. No one can be saved apart from this Christ. No one, and he's again, you have to understand our friend John, he is a Gnostic annihilator. He is pushing back against the idea that we can come to saving that we can come to a, a salvific relationship with God by, based off of our own knowledge. And John is saying, no, that the only one who can redeem man and who can reveal God, the only one full of grace and full of truth, is not the Gnostics, it's the Son of God. John would say it's, it's not any group of people, it's not any pastor, it's not any teacher, it's only through Christ that we can come to a full understanding of God and a salvation in Him. That's what we are driven to in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's right side. But Christ has made Him known. And then then we are again back to John. It's kind of like you're reading through this first chapter and you're like, John, would you stick with it and quit having splintered thoughts about John? Like, just stick to Jesus. Quit, quit trafficking over here in, 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 in issues of John. But as we'll see, I think it's very important that we understand. And, and there's a method to what John is doing here with John. And so, so verses 19-28, through 28, we're back to John. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knew who they were looking for. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? Look, we've got to give an answer to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the one, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They had... They asked him, and why are you baptizing? 
If you are neither Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Again, more details about John, but the, these details about John come in light of, in the context of, of this investigation. John, who are you? Uh, we're compelled by all of these words about Jesus in this narrative, but the religious crowd first saw John. John was the precursor, the witness, the, the front runner. And they were worried about this compelling figure, about this individual who people were flocking to. The, the, the religious crowd didn't like their spiritual authority being undermined. And they didn't like John showing up and drawing crowds of people away. They were worried that he was a threat. And so what John does is John answers the question about who he is by saying who he's not. He knows that they're worried that he is the Christ. And so he confesses, he does not deny, I am not the Christ. And it's interesting that the same thing really is happening in verses 6 through 8. He's, he, everything here is expressed in the, the negative. Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? I am not. And he starts in verse 20. I am not emphatically the Christ. And again, we, we dealt with this, some of this last week, but I want to dive into it just uh, briefly this morning. Oh, what is the deal here with Elijah? Now remember, this is a highly Jewish context. Uh, there is an impulse in the life of the nation that, that we have to acknowledge here. We have to remember their mindset. And, we, and if you turn to the very last words in the Old Testament in Malachi, I'm not going to give you an eschatological uh, explanation here of this, but what we see is that something would have been at the forefront of the minds of those in the nation of Israel at the time of the coming of Christ. Behold, I will send you, verse 5 of chapter 4 of Malachi, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. There is this promise that Elijah is coming. And so there is this great impression on the minds of the people that at the last time a prophet uh, the last time a prophet spoke to the nation, he, there was this promise that Elijah was coming. And that gives us the context of where we are here as we begin John's Gospel. Now, I think we have to also acknowledge um, a question that comes in Matthew chapter 16. And you're welcome to turn there. But often, I think, our, our minds are captivate, captivated in the, the narrative of Matthew chapter 16 with the second question that Christ asks His disciples. And that second question is, who do you say that I am? But in fact, there's another question that precedes who do you say that I am that Peter will answer and that there is a lot of question about the interpretation of that verse. But before that, Jesus asks in verse 13, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And the response is, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and then he asked, but who do you say that I am? Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Now, that's a, that's a bold and a big statement. And again, I think what happens to us when we read our Bibles is we downplay the emphatic nature of those words and the glory that they declare because we've heard them so many times. But here is, is this, this declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, come from the Father, the only Messiah. But before that, there is this understanding in the nation that Elijah is coming in some messianic sense before this great day. And so there is this great expectation. And we have to, again, we have to wrestle with this. What in the world is, is going on here? And if we turn to Matthew chapter 17, so just a few stanzas down in the text, uh, we find this entire narrative in Matthew chapter 17 of the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses, Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. They, they understood who Elijah was in, in this moment. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright, bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. But then we continue in these verses. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And listen to his answer. Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased, so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Again, in the national mindset, Elijah was a man that was much revered. He was the fearless leader. Well, he was the fearless leader until he had one little episode where he was beset with fear. But they saw him as one without fear. And he was the one who came to the nation and he said, look, choose this day whom you will serve. He was ultimately then caught up into heaven in the chariot. He was a fascinating character. He gripped the attention of the entire nation. And I think what we miss at times is that these are real people that are part of the real redemptive narrative of God. And so what we see here is that Christ is not Elijah, but we also see that Elijah was an expected figure, and we also see that Jesus says that Elijah had already come and that John is that type. What is really confounding then is first found in verse 21 of our text. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. 
I'm not. And so do we have then a bona fide um, conflicting of the Gospels? John saying, I am not. Jesus is saying he's already come. And the disciples are understanding that Elijah coming is John the Baptist. What is the, what is the explanation? Has our, our Bible just come unraveled at this point? And I think my best understanding of this text is, is what we have here is a picture of the, the passing off of the, the prophetic mantle from Elijah to John. And, and here is the reality in John's response. John didn't fully understand the import of what he was doing and his office. But John was in his declaration and, and, and a preparing of the way of the Lord here a, a fulfillment of Elijah's role. And we see this mantle being passed off all throughout the Old Testament. John, in verse 23, is this one. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What, what were the prophets doing all throughout the Old Testament? They were pronouncing the very things that God had told them to pronounce. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said John was here to make straight the path of the Lord. He was clearing out every obstacle. He was removing in this particular time frame, again, the idea of making path, uh, making straight the way of the Lord carried with it a really clear picture. If the king was coming, he would send a whole group of people before him to remove all of the rocks and all of the debris and to make sure that there was nothing that would hinder his travel. And, and, the, and, and if you were, let's say you're walking down that road and you see this group clearing the way, they really didn't even have to declare anything. You knew just by the fact they were there getting the road straightened up that somebody really important was about to come. And John is saying, that, that's what I'm doing. I am here to, 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 to make way, uh, to, to, to make ready the way of the Lord. Now, if any of you are fans of Handel's Messiah, this is, this is one of the great turns in, in, in his opus, in, in his work. Uh, here, quoting Isaiah, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Saith your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for the Lord. I thought about singing that to you in an operatic voice. I tried it out in the office and you much prefer me reading, I promise you. John here is saying, that's what I'm doing. I'm declaring to the nation that the King is about to come. He is here. What John is saying is, look, he's answering the question. When they say, look, who are you? The Pharisees have sent us. The religious people have sent us. We've got to have an answer for them. He's saying, look, if you're going to go back and say something to them, I'm not the big deal. I'm not the one they should be concerned with. I'm merely making the way for the coming of Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. What you need to know is not who I am, but who He is. There is one among you. He's coming. The Messiah is already here. Don't tell them about me. Tell them about the King. That's what He's saying. 
He's saying he's about to arrive. I wonder if one of the old boys in that group that, you know, the Pharisees sent out thought, I wonder how soon. Well, it's interesting how John plays on that. In verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Things are happening fast at this moment. John, the very next day, after telling these people who come to interrogate them, him, look, don't worry about me. I'm merely one who points the way to another, and I am preparing the way because the king is coming. Go back and tell them the king is here. I'm not worthy even to unloose the, 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 the straps on his sandals. And the very next day, he's standing there and he's thinking, now when was that that I told them the king was coming? Oh yeah, that was just yesterday. And now he sees Christ. He beholds Him. In verses 29-34 through 34 with me. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but... For this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this, this is the Son of God. That's John's emphatic testimony. That is his witness. And we see the emphatic nature of John being the witness again here. And we have to wrestle with what is is again, what is he witnessing to? In verse 29, behold the Lamb of God. He's witnessing to the reality of the Messiah. In verse 30, Uh, This is the one of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John here is giving an emphasis that Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the the creator and the one who is before all things. John knew that he was the front runner of Christ, but that Christ was before him. That he was created and that Christ was the creator. What I think that we miss is what John's, John ultimately comes, and, and this, is the, this, is, this is really the emphasis of what, what John's witness is in verses 31 through 34. Let, let's read them again. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. John didn't know. But he came baptizing that Jesus might be revealed. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And here is the the, the crescendo of that narrative. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Not only is this the Messiah, not only is this the Savior, remember the nation is, uh, Jesus is asked, who, who is the Messiah? And the, the, his disciples, well, some people, you know, there are those who think it's Jeremiah, and they have their own church. 
And then, and then there are those who are, they didn't really. But, and then there are those who think it's Elijah, that we, we, we have more freedom to be that anyway. Um, and there are those who say it's Elijah, and uh, maybe another prophet. We're, we're divided over who this is, this, this Messiah. But, but John, after having Christ revealed to him in this way, he witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, but Jesus is more importantly, emphatically, this is the Son of God. This is the creator of the world. This is the one who came ultimately to redeem and to ransom. Friends, this text is so saturated with truth. You see, you see, John had been baptizing again in water, and, and we talked about this last week, but in the Old Testament, there were these lustrations, these, these washings that you would do to prepare yourself to rightly worship inside the community of believers. You, you would cleanse the outside so that you could go inside. But what John is he's doing is he's, he's baptizing and he comes baptizing so, so that the, the way of the Lord would be prepared. He also comes in the providence of God apparently, according to verses 31 through 34, he comes that he would have Christ revealed to him in the fullest sense and declare that this is the Son of God. And he comes as a front runner merely doing this ceremonial washing to the outside that he might point to the one who does not merely cleanse us externally, but one who baptizes with the Spirit of Almighty God and changes us from the inside out. That is John's witness to us. You see, John's, in, in the fullness of, uh, again, we have to see of, of John's witness here in the text, we have to go back to this introduction. In verses 1-5, through five, The Apostle John is pointing to us that Jesus, if we are to have a right understanding of who He is, that He is the pre-incarnate One. He is the One who creates all things, who has not been overcome by the darkness and never will be, and yet the world has rejected Him. But then there are those who have come to the light. That, that, That we know Christ as the One who is full of salvation and revelation. And and here are, I think, the two emphatic realities throughout the narrative of what John is driving home. And where we get to in John 3.16 and in other places throughout John that are more readily available to the American evangelical mind, but we see them in their first forms here. Look at verse 33. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's pointing to the reality of the new birth. To the necessity that we don't just nearly need a ceremonial cleansing externally, but friends, if we are to ever see God face to face, we need a radical change from the inside out. We need the Son of God through the Spirit of God to regenerate us that we might worship truly. What prepares an individual to rightly worship throughout all of eternity is not John's baptism. That might get you through the doors of the temple, but it won't get you through the gates of heaven. What you need to behold the the Savior of the world and to worship Him for all of eternity is that you would be born again, not by blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God alone. 
And then you have some in our day who will come beyond that and say, but what, I mean, if, if you say that God is the one who has to birth us anew, I didn't say it, John said it. And John really didn't say it, God said it through John. So your problem's with God, not with me. And it's not with John, it's with God. But, but they'll say, well, but, but we really have to, we have to, it's our decision. You can read it any which way you want it, it still says, but God. And that is a phrase all throughout Scripture, and it's a phrase that should be the the seed of our worship. Because there's no other way that we can truly approach the throne of grace today. Not through our merits, not through our giving, not through our good works, but solely through Christ and what He has done to baptize us by the power of of the one who has created all things, even his own spirit. We also see another theological reality in this text, and I was tempted, and still may, to write just an entire sermon on on this reality. Verse 29. We're not given what comes in verse 29 until verse 29 in its fullness. Uh, There are shadows throughout the Old Testament of this reality, But here we have a declaration about Jesus that's super meaningful. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What we are talking about when John makes that declaration is is penal substitutionary atonement. That, that we can't earn our way to heaven. That we can't accomplish enough Old Testament sacrifices to get us all the way home. But that there has to be a perfect once-for-all sacrifice. And that sacrifice doesn't come from the little lambs that we raise from their youth and present to a priest. But they come from the one who is before all things that God has presented before the foundation of the world as the only, only propitiator between you and God. Listen, if you can't get excited about the, the reality of penal substitutionary atonement, there's nothing that will get you excited. Either that or you don't see the reality of what's coming. Because the reality, my friends, is this. Humanity at this very moment, you might be irritated with what's going on in our culture, but God burns with red-hot wrath against the idolatry of men. When there are people that raise up in our day and they say, well, let's teach children that everything just evolved and that there is not a Creator. There is not a greater act of heinous rejection of who God is than that. And then we're going to teach them pre-K and kindergarten that their gender is fluid. That also is a repudiation of God's authority over His creation. God is not irritated. There is a day set when He will judge every single person. And the only ones who will escape the wrath of God are those who are sheltered by the wrath-bearing sacrifice. God is just. And He will pay the full penalty to everyone that is due a penalty for their sin. The joy that you and I have today is knowing in Christ Our sins have not been overlooked. They've not been winked at. They've not been forgotten. They've been taken away. 
in Christ. Rejoice at that fact, dear Christian. And if you find any man or woman, oh Lord, those aren't the only two categories anymore, or whatever, that would stand before you and say that the greatest declaration of this book is something else, tell them to set out. Because I promise you on the day when we see the indignation of the Lord poured out against the foolishness of man, we in that day will know and worship eternally that we have a Lamb that has been beheld, not by our eyes now, but in our hearts through faith. What a joy that is. The joy of the reality that not only does Jesus... Set us free from the the penalty of sin. There are some Christians that live that way. Boy, I'm glad Jesus paid it all. Now I can go back to the bar. Jesus does pay the penalty of sin, and we should rejoice in that. But He also pays the power. or he He removes the power. Sin has no dominion over the Christian. And one day, the joy is that He will set us free from the presence of sin. I will stand with you all in glory. And I won't know you. In some sense. These suckers aren't sinning anymore. Neither am I. This is fantastic. And we'll know on that day, it wasn't because of what we've done, but it's because of everything that Christ has done. In His fullness. And so what does John do? What does John do as the right mode of worship does John say okay get the choir ramped up get the offering plates out make sure the deacons are ready is that what he does in the face of the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ and the new birth that John is understanding and the reality that the Messiah is the son of God the pre-incarnate God has become flesh what does John do John uses this word Behold, look, see. Look at verse 32. And John bore witness, I have saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Verse 34, and I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. And then in verse 36, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God. Look at the power of John's witness. John's reflex. The right worship of God. Friends, this is the culmination of the worship of God when we gather like this. But our real worship happens all throughout the week as we witness to the glory of God in every area of our life. That that we desire to live in a way that as people interact with us, they get this sense of they've met somebody different. Somebody other than what we've ever known. Look look at the the weight of John's witness. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't verse 37 absolutely amazing? That John saw, 
Not because of John, but simply because God had done this work. John saw who Jesus was, and he witnesses to this reality. And some of his own disciples hear him saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And what they stop doing is the very best thing they could stop doing. They stop following John, they start following Jesus. That's fantastic, and here's the greater reality of that truth. God's still doing that work today. And he's doing it in the obscurity of every little church that is scattered around the globe today. When a Christian meets with one who is in the darkness, do you know, when, when, look, 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 this is, y'all, be excited with me, this is fantastic. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now we're overtaken by the darkness all the time, aren't we? But as we go out into the darkness and we meet those who, who Paul says at one time, We all were the darkness. Not just that we set in the darkness, that's true. But as we're setting in the darkness, we are the darkness. And as Christians go out into the world, they witness to the glory of Christ by who they are. Witnessing is not a program that some evangelist has created. Witnessing is a reality that is accomplished through the work of the Spirit in the lives of His saints. It's something that that we do as we interact with those who are outside of Christ. And John chapter 1 displays all of this. It it displays the fullness of Jesus. It, It shows Him clearly as Creator and as Redeemer. And what I want you to to not miss is what this first chapter says about John and what it should say about all of us who are called according to the will of God. John is not just splintered in his thinking. John doesn't just amp up and say, okay, I'm going to give five verses to Jesus, then I'm going to give three to John, then I'm going to give another dozen or so to Jesus, and then I'm going to, like like I'm on uh, the six o'clock news, back to you, John. That is not what is happening here. He, 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 he has a very intention, John, in, in, especially in the, the, the underlying Greek, he's intentional. He, he's telling us something about John that he then illustrates about John. And it's fantastic. And I'd never seen this until recently. And, and then when I saw it, Sarah's sitting at the table and she's like, what are you doing? Pacing, because this is fantastic. Look at verses 6-8 through eight with me. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Check. You need to know that. There was a man. He was sent. God sent him. Sending is an important reality in John's life. From God, his name was John. Verse 7. He came to bear witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Check. John was sent. John was a witness. Well, what, what aim of this witness? That all might believe through him. Check. John was sent. John was a witness. John was a witness to the salvation that only God can bring about. The, the salvation that doesn't come by blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God. That all might believe. Friends, the glorious reality of verses 19 through 42, what we've been dealing with for the last 45 minutes or so, 
is that's just an illustration of those two verses. That John was sent, that he bore witness, that those who believe might believe. Do you know why you and I today believe? Because John was a witness that was sent of God, that witnessed to the glory that this is the Son of God. That is the reality. Look at verse 33 and what we find of John being sent. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Spirit. Friends, can I tell you something? We have, we have an entire generation that wants to build a witnessing program by holding events, by doing uh, different methodologies. Rewind 20 or 30 years, it was knocking on doors. It was all about the modes, the methods. But can I, can I encourage you to see in verse 33 that obedience to the command of God cannot be substituted with a human-centered process. That our witness in this community comes by our obeying all things that Christ has commanded. Our witness is not we live our lives however we want and then we go smile and tell, tell people Jesus loves you. Your witness does not carry weight unless you are one sent of God. Secondly, he was a witness. And this is all throughout the text. Look at verse 29. The next day he saw him coming down and he said, Behold, again, this is a witnessing statement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 32, And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend on him from, descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. In verse 34, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Verses 35 and 36, the fullness of his witness. The next day, again, John, this is, this is the third day. You know, he told the Pharisees, go back and tell them the king is coming. The Messiah is here. And then the second day, that's him. And now the third day, he personally is invested next to those who are following him, pointing to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. This is because of who John is. God created him to be the the front runner to Christ, to be the witness, to, to be sent into the world as a witness. Why? That all might believe. Don't take this for granted. How did John go about this? It wasn't five steps to a better evangelism. It was simply by abiding in the Word and living before God that the work that he was called to do in pointing to Jesus was carried out. John here is the one who relishes in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John spent his days enamored by the reality, the glory that it was Christ and Christ alone who could save and reveal Himself to sinners. 
John witnesses to the reality that that Jesus is both the Creator and the Redeemer. That He is the One who pays for our sins and He is the One who births us anew. He witnesses. He does not deny. He witnesses. He speaks the fullness of the glories of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was winding this down, friends, I couldn't think of anything better to write on all of our graves than this one verse that we find in verse 8. If this is the one, one reality about our entire existence, if it's the only reality about who we are, it is a reality far better than we all deserve. He was not the light, but He came to bear witness about the light. Friends, I don't know if there's anything that excites me more than that reality. I was a sinner who loved my sin. I cherished my sin. I feasted on sin. I loved vanity and pride and all of the things that go with being a sinner. I was not looking for Jesus. I was not adoring Jesus. I was not thinking about living my life as a pastor for Jesus. I was a capital S, dyed-in-the-wool sinner. God interrupted my story. God revealed who Christ was to me also. That's what's happening in verses 31 through 34 for John. He's pointing to, the Spirit is pointing to Jesus. This is the one who baptizes with the Spirit. And all of my days, as, as disordered as my sin keeps everything, even to this point, growing in grace and truth, growing in the reality that Christ is full of glory, I am not, Jesus is wonderful, He will complete His work, and at the end of days, if the only thing that is said is, boy, He was not the light. I, I think that might be what I want my funeral message to be. He wasn't the light. But by God's grace, he came to bear witness about the light. Dallas, what if that was said of you? Dallas was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Bill was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Sarah wasn't the light, but she came to bear witness about the light. Dion wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Cam wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Beloved, might we ever pray that we wouldn't fall victim to the shams and the concoctions of men to be witnesses for Christ's sake, but might we pray that God would give us the strength to bear witness to the light, even though we aren't the light, that He might receive glory and honor for the salvation that He's brought and in the revealing of His own name. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful to know that you have not been overcome. When your children sinned in the garden, you were not overcome. When they rebelled against you in the wilderness, you weren't overcome. When they rejected your son, you're not overcome. The darkness has never overcome your glorious light. In our own sin, we have not conquered your grace, but yet your grace has conquered us. Father, might we be witnesses to the glory that Christ redeems those who are not the light. 
Like, might we receive as our identity that we aren't the light, but that for all of eternity, because of grace and grace alone, we will glory in the light. Father, might that be the theme of our entire life. Might we rejoice in all that You are doing to make Your light known. In Christ's name, Amen. We are a blessed people, aren't we? Please stand. And let's sing about the blessing coming at the end of our lives, almost home.